Welcome to Shekinah International Podcast. Our ministry reflects the five-fold ministry model Apostle Paul mentions in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Our podcast features leaders from multiple churches who are passionate about equipping Christians just like you to walk in purity and power, fulfilling your God-given purpose. God wants to do great exploits through you, so enjoy today's podcast. judges is very clearly stated this king pleased the Lord this king did evil in the eyes of the Lord this prophet served the Lord well this judge recognized or represented the heart of God well etc so the Israelites go to Egypt after cycle and cycle and cycle again of sin and um, they're exiled Right? So they, they lose their access to the promised land, if you will. Now they're coming back. We're going to talk in a minute about coming back into the, the promised land, but I kind of went through, the Lord took me through the whole book of Judges. And I was struggling with this idea of legislative morality, of operating in the authority of the places of influence that God gives us, and what is our responsibility as Christians, and how do we honorably, lovingly, consistently ensure that the people that are lawless, that don't know the Lord, have something to look up to and a standard that is meted out and that they are called to because they don't know him, and yet at the same time, those of us in Christ, you know, are able to uphold a, a righteous call saying this ought to be the standard. What does that look like? Is it right? Is it wrong? There's a lot of information about that out there. So he takes me to Judges 2, 1 through 4, and it says, I brought you up out of Egypt, the Lord says. And I led you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. So this is a promise that was to their forefathers. So because of the promise he made to Abraham. He's following through and being faithful to the sons, amen, and the daughters. Amen. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? It goes on to say that the people wept aloud, and they called that place Bokim which means weepers in the original language. I love that picture. James Nesbitt's one of my favorite prophetic artists. It's teardrop from the throne is that image right there that he drew. And I was so grieved the last couple of days. I thought, Lord, they called this place weepers. They cried because they had an encounter with a perfect God of perfect love, of perfect grace, who was just confronting them again, like, why? Why didn't you listen? I, I kept my end of the bargain. And yet you disobeyed anyway. Go ahead and go to that next slide. And this is what came to my heart immediately. What makes God weep? Mm -hmm. And I was just, I wasn't myself 
yesterday. I couldn't, I couldn't shake it. We've been propagandized and pushed and bullied this year and the last several years, all of us as a body of Christ. The enemy's tried to divide. He has tried to dupe us. He has tried to get us to fight. He has tried to get us to shut up and sit down and not say what we know will bring hope and healing. And I just look at this picture and I thought that they called it the, the place Bokim, the place of the weepers, but I think the Lord wept. That's what I think. I honestly think the Lord looks at our nation now and, and weeps. Go ahead and change the slide. There's this cycle that goes on and on and of idolatry and misunderstanding and generations not being taught how to serve the Lord our God and how to war and how to be free and in our attempts to be political in our attempts to be kind in our attempts not to hurt people's feelings we've as Christians at least I have I have sometimes been silent and called it love much like what our friend was talking about here during the study and I need to repent in Judges 3.3, 3, it goes on to say, these are the nations the Lord left to test those Israelites who had not experienced any wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously had battle experience. Can anybody say amen? So someone might say, well, why didn't God just take the enemies out of the land? He gave him a commitment, or why didn't he, why would God put Satan in the garden? If he's a God of love, which he is, if he is good, which he is, why wouldn't he just take the enemies out? Okay, and I'm, I'm honest, I've, I've grappled with this question myself, like, man, it's hard sometimes. And I love this verse because he tells us right here. It says, the Lord left. These are the nations the Lord left to test the Israelites. Okay? So those things that come against us as Christians, those things that tempt our flesh or tempt us to be greedy or tempt us to compromise and take the easy way out, those things are actually there to test our character. Just like the verse Jaden gave us earlier today, will we choose love, which really is obedience, or will we choose to do what feels good? Will we do what's easy? Will we do what culture's telling us to do? Or will we take the high road, the less traveled road? Maybe the more difficult road, but with the grace of God, amen? Amen. Amen. The yoke, his yoke is what? Easy. His burden is what? Light. So the world tells us that the highway is actually the harder way, but it's not true. His way is always easier because the grace and the power and the strength of God is upon us to accomplish it. Amen. Say that. The difficulty is when those left in the land come against us. Right? 
So it blessed me. It says that he didn't only do it to test the Israelites, to test their hearts, to prove their faith is true. There was a number two reason, okay? Verse two, it says, he did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not previously had battle experience. So we know the story of Joshua and Caleb. They came up, they pioneered, they made it happen, right? The, all the 10 spies went out, but they were the only two that came back and said, we can go in and overtake it because God is with us. Now, everybody else was too scared. They said, what? We only grasshoppers in their eyes, right? But you had a whole new generation now. We're at that place in our nation. We've got a whole new generation of people who didn't have to pioneer this nation. We're only 200 years old. And it's in the church, too, in the corporate church. We've got a whole new generation coming up who didn't have to lead, who didn't have to lay the groundwork, who didn't have to travel and traverse the wildlands to share the gospel here. We've got institutions and systems set up. We're in a different place now. And he says, he left them in the land, not only so that the hearts of the Israelites would be tested, but also so that those descendants who had not learned to war would learn warfare. And then I got excited. Mm -hmm. I got excited. Yeah, next slide. We've got to wipe out the enemies. So I asked God this question, you know, why didn't you just wipe out the enemies? And he says, because I needed the next, every generation has to know how to war. Mm. Every generation has yeah. to know how to war. If we don't know how to war, we can't maintain what we've won. That's right. Okay? So for example, let me give you an example. If I give my hundred and something thousand dollar house or two hundred and something thousand dollar house to my child who does not know how to work, okay? Does not know how to pay bills on time and is not disciplined, they're not gonna be able to maintain the home. Right? But if I raise my child in the way that they should go, when they're old, they will what? Not turn away from That's right. Mm-hmm. Right? If I've trained them to f- work hard and to fight for it and to do what's necessary, mm-hmm. to get done what needs to get done, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't feel good, even when you don't want to get out of bed, right? To, if I teach them to war in that particular area, then the inheritance comes with the ability to sustain it. So in this case, that's not a perfect analogy, but it's the same idea. There's an inheritance that has been given to us, a land and a corporate church that is free to worship, that is free to express themselves creatively, that is free to have multiple denominations and different gatherings that focus on varied preferences, and it's beautiful. It is unlike anything else that exists in the entire world, anywhere. But we've got a generation right now that's learning to war. And God's been speaking to us the last couple years about unsanctified mercy, the very thing we talked about during worship time when we listened, right? What does it look like to love perfectly but not enable, right? If we love perfectly, the lie that's been propagandized or perpetuated is that means we give people everything that they want and need and do everything for them. No, honey, that ain't love. You're going to have one big overweight child who does not know how to fend for themselves. You're actually hurting an individual when you do everything for them. Mm -hmm. If you use the analogy of the butterfly, right? We know that it goes from the caterpillar to the butterfly or the worm to the butterfly, but if 
that chrysalis, during that chrysalis time, when it's in the chrysalis state, if you cut the chrysalis open, or that butterfly's starting to work its way out, and you help it escape the chrysalis, and it doesn't actually have to fight its way out, did you know that the abdomen of the butterfly never develops? Wow. And then it comes out deformed. Wow. There's this part of us, I think, we're so blessed here in America. There's this part of us that we're made eternally. We know that we know that we know this is not the way it's supposed to be. Where is my, as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. Come on, can anybody say amen? Amen. Am I the only one that feels that way sometimes? We're made, we know. We know it's not supposed to be that way. So the God in us, the glory in us, the grace in us fights for things to be changed. We fight for justice and we fight for truth and it's beautiful and it's noble and it is him. But it requires a fight. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, that's a God thing. It's the very thing that forges us as a weapon fit for our work. It's the very thing that ensures that Christ in us continues to become our hope of glory and that we look more and more like him every day. I love the verse that Paul says, do you not know that we will judge the angels? Wow. How much more the things of this life? So, especially as Christians, we go ahead and go to the next slide there. We talk about this a lot, and I, I couldn't figure out why I was so, I mean, I'll be honest with you guys, I was angry. I was crying, I was angry. I haven't screamed in a long time, and I'm driving down the road, and I was just like, what? Daddy, what is this? And our culture says we can't legislate morality, and that is true, you can't legislate someone acting and behaving a certain way. That is true. You can't put a law in place and everyone's just going to obey it. That is true. However, 1 Timothy 1.9 says, we know that the law is good <laughs> if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for lawbreakers. Can anybody say amen? Mm -hmm. Okay, it's made for lawbreakers. And rebels, the ungodly, the sinful, the unholy, and the irreligious. Okay, and can anybody raise their hand? Because we've all been there. Okay, so this is not about shame, this is not about condemnation. But the law is made for the ungodly. We put laws in place because the reality is this, not everyone will uphold what is good and what is true. So we do legislate morality in the sense that we say, we will allow your evil to go this far and no further. Mm. Otherwise, we're not actually, we're doing exactly what the Israelites did. Mm -hmm. We're saying everything goes. And then the scripture says, the evil prevailed. The people forgot their God and the evil prevailed the land. Why? We can't legislate morality in the sense that we can force people to abide by that, but we can bring punitive damage because that is the role of the government to say, we love you so much and we love everyone in our country so much that we're not going to allow the evil to go beyond this point. Why? So that God can be honored, so that this can be a place of shalom and of peace and of grace and of healing. Amen. That's the only reason. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. I love this picture here. I found this painting online. This young man had painted this of himself. And you're familiar with the scripture that talks about um, we behold our, in a, like in a mirror, right? Um, when it talks about the word of God in James, it says we behold ourselves like in a mirror. We, we read the word of God and we behold ourselves.
here. And if you are familiar at all uh, with the tabernacle and the way that it was set up, the laver, when they went in to wash their hands in the temple back in the day, it had a mirror in the bottom. It was made out of the mirrors of the women. So you would go in and you'd get ready to wash your hands and you would see yourself. So to the Israelites, that particular scripture, to the Jewish people, it meant something quite significant. They had to wash, right? That's the place that we wash. And when we, the Ten Commandments and all of those things coming down off the walls, it's not that we expect everyone to obey them, but it's a mirror that says, Darvin, this is the standard. Is this the way you want to go? It's not to bring condemnation. It's to say, oh, love, take a quick glimpse. You don't want to stray that far. Not for the sake of making them feel guilty, not for the sake of shame, but for the sake of saying there's a better way. Come and let me show you. So I'm reading through Judges, and the Lord just kind of took me through it rather quickly, uh, pointed a few things out. It was just interesting. I love that Judges starts with the woman. Come on, somebody. That got me excited. Okay. I'm not being selfish. Men are amazing. Okay, I love you. Men are absolutely amazing. But I'm just saying, but it made me feel good. It did. It starts off with Deborah, who was, by the way, a judge, not a king. Okay, which was God's original intent that we would not have kings. We'll get to that in a minute. But she judged well. She upheld the truth. She decreed and declared what God's word said, and the generals and the uh, military knew that she was a godly woman that came to her for advice. She gave the advice and they defeated the Syrians. In fact, JL put that final tent peg through the um, king of Syria, his head, his temple, and they won that war and it was beautiful. Then Gideon comes on, you know, he struggles with courage a little bit. He's not feeling like he's worthy or ready. He comes into the picture there. The Lord gives him a vision and a dream and it changes his heart and God helps him to defeat the Midianites in an insane way that doesn't even sound practical. Most armies gather their arms. They gather their men. They go to fight in great numbers. That's how they won. But the Lord told him, get some torches and some jars and put the jars over the torches. And all I want you to do is blow your trumpets and scream. He's like, what? Right? But he obeyed the Lord. He loved the Lord, just like we talked about this morning. And then they defeated the Midianites. Then Ziba and Zabuna come up, if you're familiar with that story at all. They criticize and complain. They were actually mad at Gideon because they didn't get to go on that mission. So there's a whole chapter about them. They're complaining. Why didn't you ask us to go with you? We wanted to go with you. Why didn't we get to be part of this? Why didn't you call us for this? Well, the Lord told them 300 people, period. God wanted the glory on that. And they were in offense. And then in Judges 8.33, it says, read this in context for you. No sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berith as their God and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. And they also failed to show kindness to the family of Jeroboam, which is Gideon's family, for all the good things he had done for them. And so we see the cycle that we were talking about earlier, and that's kind of the inner, internal struggle that I was having, um, the conversation I was having with the Lord. And let's just real quickly, we're going to breeze over this. 
The saga continues, okay? You think, does it end there? Surely the Lord sends Jesus then, right? They've already been to the cycle several times in Israel. Then they get exiled to Egypt. They're oppressed by Nebuchadnezzar. Now they're coming back, and they're in the cycle again, right? So Abimelech is the next one to step up. There's nobody to lead after Gideon's death. Abimelech steps up. He's a man full of bitterness, the scripture tells us. In fact, they called him a briar. And he says in the scripture, basically, I'm better than Baal. I mean, which is probably true, <laughs> but he was full of bitterness, right? So he wasn't the best leader. And he was so bitter that he actually uh, burned several of his brothers. Okay, just interesting. Then Tola and Yair, it says they both led 23 years and 22 years. It doesn't tell us much about them, but the Lord didn't say they were evil, so that's a good thing. Then you've got Japheth who was persecuted because he was like a stepchild. He didn't fit into the brotherhood, if you will. He was hesitant to leave because he'd been betrayed by his brothers and kicked out of the group. But he stepped up and led them to victory. And then it comes to Samson, anointed from birth, powerful, called of the Lord. But he couldn't get over his lust and his pride. So he has this pattern of being with this woman and I, I, I read the story again today, and I thought, man, the first time when Delilah lied to me and convinced me to tell me, tell her my secret, and then all her brothers come in and try to kill me, and I t overtook them and was fine because I didn't tell her the truth, would have been enough for me to say, I'm not going to tell her the second time. Right. Okay? So I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, what is going on in this precious brother's heart? And this is what he said to me, pride. His anointing was so strong, he believed he was undefeatable, which was true. But he started to shift from trusting in the anointing and the promise and the covenant of the hair that the Lord had given to trust in himself. And I was like, ooh, daddy. It, it was sad because Samson had so much potential. In fact, he could have defeated all the Philistines, all of them. But he had to tell. Well, it's this. He had to tell somebody he couldn't keep the secret of the Lord. And it says they came in and they gouged out his eyes. Interesting. I think that's what lust has done to some. It's restorable in Christ. Amen. Then Micah worshipped the idols of his mother. He gave his mom some silver coins and his mom fashioned them into an idol and he worshipped them all of his days. And then the Benjamites, quite frankly, are the worst of all. Judges 2013, and it's, I just kept reading going, Lord, it just gets worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and I think, are you trying to make me feel worse? <laughs> there is a point coming, I promise. And it says, the tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin saying, what is a, what it, about this awful crime that was committed among you? Now, just to tell you a little bit of the story, there was a Levite and a concubine. And the concubine probably wasn't being treated well, I'm assuming, from perspective, but she left the Levite and went back home to her father, which they considered to be unfaithful. So the Levite goes and gets her. He stays with the father. The father tries to convince the Levite to stay. He stays three, four days. The father tries to convince him to stay again. The Levite says, no, I'm going home. So he goes home and he stops in the territory of the Benjamites. And just like in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Benjamites, the smallest tribe, 
their flag is actually a wolf, just so you know, if that gives you any idea. Um, the men, some of the men were so perverse and so full of lust that they actually tried to take the Levite. They wanted to sodomize him. And the elderly man, the elder of the Benjamites said, no, 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 take the concubine instead. Don't do this vile thing in our city. Surely the Lord would not be pleased. So instead of just fighting them, he throws this woman to the wolves, literally. They take her all night long, have their way, like in the movie, if you've seen 13. And she's laying outside the door, can't move. They open the door up in the morning and the Levite just steps over her. This is his wife, okay? He's so angry, she, she, can't, she can't move. She's just laying there holding on to the doorpost. She dies. He puts her up on her horse. She dies. And then he cuts her up and sends pieces to all the Israelites. This is something, just so you know, that we dealt with as women of war and we went to Israel. I was so livid about this piece of scripture and the treatment of women. <clears throat> the stepping over their pain like it doesn't matter. The using and the abusing of them as if they're objects. I was livid. So he literally cuts her up, and they said, all the, in all the history of Israel, this has never been done before. And it's like this culminating sin. So we get to Judges 20, 13. All the Israelites get a piece of this woman. They say, we got to go deal with this. This is wickedness. This is vile. We got to get this out of the camp. And this is what <coughs> Benjamin said. The tribes of Israel sent men throughout the tribe of Benjamin, saying, what about this awful crime that was committed among you? And this was their response. They said, now surrender those wicked men of Gibeah so that we may put them to death and purge the evil from Israel. But the Benjamites would not listen to their fellow Israelites. From their towns, they came together to, at Gibeah to fight against the Israelites instead. And at once, the Benjamites mobilized 26,000 swordsmen from, an, from their own towns 26,000 swordsmen, excuse me, from their own towns, in addition to 700 chosen men from those living in Gibeah. That resonated with me after my day yesterday. <laughs> and I got a picture again of that, those justice scales. God always always forgives us, but there are consequences for our sin. Now, had the Benjamites been wise and understanding, they would have given up the men of Gibeon, but they allowed sin to rule in their camp, and they were too proud to admit that they had a problem, so they protected them instead, and now they got 20,000 warriors plus the 700 others that were going to have to fight in this battle, many of which died because they were too arrogant to humble themselves and just say, yeah, these ones need to be dealt with. Come on, somebody. And it hit me that we need to repent as a church, as a corporate church sometimes, for allowing sin in the camp and not saying enough is enough. I love you. I do love you. Yes, we forgive you. But this is what this means. Step aside. Take a seat for a minute. That's not not love. That's operating in godly authority. That's upholding righteousness in the land. That's ensuring that that individual learns how to mourn so that they can live in honor, in obedience, 
in peace, and they can teach their children to do that, that they don't get privilege and authority apart from character. So, that was hot. I'm not sure I read that. So it's interesting, like we said a little bit earlier, Deborah was a judge and then they started appointing kings and that wasn't God's original attempt, but listen to what he said to Samuel. So 1 Samuel 8, 1 through 8, it's just beautiful. Samuel had done a fantastic job um, for the Lord. He, he, he was dedicated, if you know anything about Samuel, he was the son of Hannah. Hannah didn't have a son, and she cried up to God. This is actually a testimony of Jaden. We had cried up to God, uh, asking the Lord for, I had cried out to God, asking the Lord for a son. She wanted one child. I wanted six. We compromised on two, and I begged God for a boy. He gave me Jaden, and what I said to him was, I said, Daddy, I said, I will serve you all the days of my life. I will. Now, Hannah said, I will give you my son to serve you all the days of her life. So it's a little bit different. I made a commitment for me. She made a commitment for her son, Sam. And Hannah goes to the temple when he, after he was weaned and turns him in at the temple and says he's here to serve at the temple, and he did. And Samuel did. The Lord used him as a prophet all throughout Israel, all the days of his life. He was obedient to the Lord. But it says, when Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges for Israel. Okay, so that was the first mistake. The name of his first son was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiyah in Hebrew. And they served at Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They had not learned war. They were given privilege before they had proven character. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted just, justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us. Forget God's way. Forget the fivefold ministry. Forget the prophetic. Appoint a king to lead us. We just want a king. We want someone else. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. Father God went on to say, it is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine hearing that from Daddy? It is not me that they have rejected. It is not you that they have rejected, but they have rejected me as king. And I think, in a sense, here in America, we've sort of done that in the political arena, right? We've set up these kings, right? Now, the truth of the matter is that you need two wings for an eagle to fly primary parties in our country are Democratic and Republican. Both of them have a portion of righteousness upheld well, but neither one of them got both sides and it done great. Amen? Mm -hmm. Can anybody admit that? Amen. They're not perfect. But what the enemy's done to us is because they're not perfect, he's, he's tricked us into believing the lie that 
we need to choose this king or we need to choose that king when the reality is we just need to choose our king, king of kings and lord of lords and pray for whoever's in power and knowing that we know that we know that God is good and God is able and he is moving and he is greater than any king that is ever in place because he sets up kings and the heart of the king is in his hand. Amen? Amen. Go ahead and go to that next slide. So true justice. When Lauren, Shana, and I were out in Minneapolis when I was getting ordained by Patricia King as apostle, basically confirmed for my ordination there, um, Lord had a dream one of the nights, and we had to go to the headwaters of the Mississippi. The Lord had given her a picture, basically, and the interpretation he gave me was that he said that Mississippi goes straight down the middle of the United States of America, and he said there's division in the land. And Leviathan has taken over the Mississippi, and I want you to go pray. So we did, and we did some prophetic acts and did what God said, and then found out my friend James Nesbitt was doing a whole Mississippi tour all the way down the Mississippi to call for justice on the water so that the nation would be united again and not divided anymore. It was just a beautiful confirmation of what he had spoken to our heart. So there's this idea of justice, right? To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of the mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, Paul says. Christ in us is literally the hope of glory. Go ahead and go to the next slide. That being true, we create laws that maintain morality aligned with God's heart as Christians, hoping that those who don't know him will call on his name. Not to condemn them. And for the righteous, we set that plumb line, right? So in the corporate church and in our places of influence, we, we set the plumb line. We say, this is the standard. And we coach and we train and we teach and we disciple them to war and to hold their ground, whether they're in the schools, whether they're in the arts, whether they're in the government, whether they're in family neighborhoods, whether they're in the church, that is our job. God disciplines them when they compromise. But if we've been given a place of authority, it is our job to say, this is the character required to maintain this level of authority in this particular sphere. And that is not injustice. That's love. Is this resonating with you guys at all? Oh, my spirit was just like so, I cried this week. I cried. And I'll tell you why, and this is, this is honestly why I cried. I'm gonna read you this, where's it at? At the beginning of the year, the Lord gave me this word about the reckoning, and I think this is why my heart is so heavy because we're coming into the year 5780, okay? It's a changing of the gates, all right? We're coming into a whole new era and a whole new season. We moved from 5777, or 5779 to 5780, okay? So we're going from this place of seeing to this place of het or grace again. And I'm praying, God, please let people come into your grace. Please let the church repent before we go into this next year because once that gate is closed, you have the fruit of that which you've done. So I'm gonna read this to you. I felt like God wanted me to read this. We've got time. It's from December and now it's making more sense than ever. It says, I always take a 30-day sabbatical between December and the first few weeks of January. 
I find that intentional rest from ministry and work is very important. This past December 2018 was no different. Unfortunately, I did more ministry and had more interruptions than I had hoped, resulting in less quiet time than normal. And quite frankly, I felt a bit perturbed about it. And then I felt a little guilty that I was so agitated until Holy Spirit reminded me that my grace is sufficient for you. And my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, boast all the more gladly in your weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on you. <laughs> I had to laugh. A quick moment of repentance and my peace had returned. This sabbatical experience was unique. After 10 years of working with God to build the unity movement in our region, God had finally brought us a new executive director. And I was feeling such relief at the idea of having another laboring partner. The quiet was so enjoyable. I would spend hours in his presence, but not really saying much. I just was quiet. Do you ever have seasons like that? Where it's like you've warned and 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 you just want to be still, right? That's kind of how it was for me this year. I simply just was enjoying being with God. It was comforting just knowing that he was there and listening in case he wanted to, and that I was listening and he was listening in case either one of us wanted to share their hearts. It was so refreshing. There was no pressure, no striving, only an expectation of experiencing his goodness and his renewing grace. Don't laugh, but I often talk to the Lord in the bathtub. It's okay if you laugh. I can relax there. The door is locked, so there's no kids, there's no dogs, there's no questions, there's no phone, there's no interruptions, there's no aggravators. As I sat there quietly listening one afternoon, I asked the Lord, is there anything you would like to say to me about what you're doing in America this coming year? I immediately heard, this will be a year of the reckoning. Initially, I was thinking, wow, that does not sound good. I immediately knew that it was a word of warning to those Christians who are partnering with the world and other non-Christian leaders who are perpetuating evil in our midst. But as I prayed about it, God continued to speak. I have preached on this at Shekinah International, but feel compelled to share more of that with you, with the broader body of Christ today. And it goes on to say, after hearing that word, I had to do some research. I had to know what exactly does the term reckoning mean? I learned that reckoning is actually an accounting term. It literally means a settling of accounts, a summing up of a person's opinion or judgment, the avenging or punishment of past mistakes or misdeeds. It also means, and this is interesting, considering what we just discussed about why God left the enemies in the land, it also means this, catch this you guys, contention for one's place on a team or an appointment, right? In other words, it's a gate. You, you make it in or you don't. It's like the filter through which you have to come to be promoted, amen? Amen. When one is called to account for one's actions, to pay one's debts, or to fulfill one's promises or obligations. After reading this definition, my heart was flooded with a plethora of insights from Holy Spirit, including a flash vision of the moment when the finger of God wrote on the wall of the Babylonian king, Mene Mene Tekel Parsin. 
or paren, as some translations say. In the book of Daniel, chapter 5, the meaning of which Daniel, by the grace of Holy Spirit, interprets as being, many, many means God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means you have been weighed in the scales, okay, so we're talking about scales of justice today, and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Immediately, immediately I knew that shifts were taking place both in the worldwide church and also in governmental seats across the nations. Holy Spirit highlighted that Mene was mentioned twice in Daniel 5 and indicated that God was going to decide many things with finality in 2019. Now, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year, 20, the, in the Hebrew year, 5779, actually goes all the way through October 1st this year, okay? So we've got some time. As I'm typing this up, I'm hearing, and once decided, they will not change. Now let me clarify, this does not mean that grace is not available through repentance, nor that restoration is not available in time. But for this season, there will be compromises. There will be, excuse me, consequences for compromises, for hidden sin, for stubbornness, and for rebellion. This is a bit of a sobering thought. In light of the political tension and competitiveness and corruption that we're seeing in our nation and worldwide. Many national prophets are saying we are going to see darkness and light clash. And in the natural it seems impossible, but in the spirit it is possible. Only because people have free will. As I pondered this a bit with Holy Spirit, he began to show me that the only way that darkness and light can clash is if those of us carrying our, his light keep it under a bowl. If we don't let it shine. The scripture tells us that you are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And that a town built on a city cannot be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the room. Can anybody say amen? Amen. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Matthew. The clashing will cease if we Christians who are carriers of the light begin to let our lights shine before others. Frankly, the light of Christ in us always dispels the darkness. That's the scripture, right? That means that in this hour, God is asking us not to be silent, but instead to stand up for what is true, what is righteous, what is biblical, in a way that honors God and is spoken in love, but nonetheless to stand up. And to, I would add to that in light of what he gave us today, to mediate it out in our spheres of influence. Where do you have authority? How is it run and what standard do you hold and perpetuate? It's almost as if he was saying that our sin and compromise is not gonna fly in this season. It's time for the reckoning. Historically, if we look at the Israelites when they were in disobedience, to God's ways, he always graciously gave them a season to shift back to obedience. We just talked about eight, nine judges and kings. Over and over again, they went through the cycle. He was gracious. He was gracious. He was gracious. He was gracious. Oftentimes, those seasons consisted of years or decades. Father God allowed this giving of time for them to repent. However, 
when the sin and the compromise persisted, and that's what we're seeing in our nation, and resulted in multiplied negative effects on the people, God always, always, always stepped in to stop it. I'm just going to read to you real quick out of Jeremiah 44. I just want to back that up in scripture. There's only one time in my walk with the Lord where he actually told me to stop praying for something or someone. I was a lot, when I first got saved, like Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, I cried all the time. Some of you probably would say I still am. I'm way better than I used to be. So, <laughs> so you got the, the good end of the stick here. Um, but I think sometimes when we're real close to the heart of God, we can't help but weep because he does, right? You can't help but love hard. And, Now this is what the Lord God Almighty, the God of Israel says, why bring such disaster on yourselves? Come on, somebody. And Jeremiah said to all the people, including the women, hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah and Egypt, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, you and your wives have shown by your actions what you promised when you said, we will certainly carry out the vows we made to burn incense and to pour out drink offerings to the queen of heaven. Go ahead then, you do what you promised. Keep your vows, but hear the word of the Lord. All the Jews living in Egypt, I swear by the great name, says the Lord, that no one from Judah living in anywhere in Egypt will ever again invoke my name or swear as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. He says, for I am watching over them for their harm. And I thought, whew, that sounds rough. We don't want to talk about that. But how many of y'all had to spank your kids before? Okay, okay, let me ask this. How many of y'all had to spank your kids and they obey you? How many have obedient kids that spanked them? Okay, because if you didn't spank them, I know they ain't listening. You spare that rod that you'll spoil. That's the truth. Listen, Shane jokes. He says, beat them all the young. I'm not, you know what I mean? I'm not saying that. But you've got to discipline a child, right? Because they really don't know. They don't know. And God says, he disciplines those that he loves. He disciplines those of us that he calls true sons, right? So what's coming, <laughs> the kids over here laughing, you know we love you. Mm -hmm. if, if you've been disciplined, you were loved well because someone cared enough about you to momentarily bring you a little bit of pain so that the rest of your life you wouldn't have to live in complete horrendous torture and torment mm -hmm. because they didn't care enough to train you up and take the time to do it. Come on. If I say amen to that? Amen. amen. All right, so back to this word. Back to the book of Daniel. Remember in the story, he was elevated. Daniel was with the new king, Darius Mead, that came in. And the sad traps, I keep seeing the word sad traps, S-A-D, right? Said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man, Daniel, unless it has something to do with the law of his God. How many of you have been put in that corner before? We got sad traps all around you. They're all trying to snap at you. Right? <laughs> there. Mm -hmm. Many leaders right now are surrounded by sad traps who are sad, trying to set traps for them. Wow. So they so that they do not have to be outshined by God's grace on you. Most sad traps really actually want what you have. But when we don't carry it in love and in humility and with a gracious heart, they turn on us 
us instead of being drawn toward us. Does that make sense? Now, not all of them, because some of them really, you know, it is what it is. You can't make people love you. You just can't. You can choose to love them no matter what, but you can't make people love you. Sometimes when we light our, let our lights shine, the sad traps surrounding us begin to repair their lion's den, mm -hmm. plotting and scheming. Mm -hmm. I wonder at times if Daniel had built relationships with these guys and prayed for them and blessed them, if they would have been the same and treated him the same. Mm -hmm. I wonder if they would have been able to develop a friendship. I can't say. But they were so jealous, so angry, so unkind, the word never mentions any attempts on Daniel's part to love them or to reach out to them and connect. But perhaps we ourselves can avoid the lion's den with a little bit of love. Amen? Mm -hmm. This year, the reckoning will be one where both those who are in the church or in the world who have compromised, connived, schemed, manipulated, lied, cheated, and murdered, and those who have been humble and faithful and loving and patient and forgiving and kind will experience the following. Number one, both will experience a settling of accounts, a summing up, a person's opinion or judgment, namely the Lord's, an avenging or punishment of past mistakes and misdeeds, or an accounting for one's actions. Very literally, in the spiritual sense, for some, they will have a negative balance because they have blatantly railed against God and his church or they have compromised with the world, allowing sin to reign in their spheres of influence or go unchecked. They will begin to lose their resources, their people, their finances, their favor, their jobs, and their relationships, not because God doesn't love them, but because he does, and he has a plan. There is the, har the largest harvest this world has ever seen is yet to still come and has been prophesied. And the Lord needs his pure-hearted, character-filled, on fire ones in places of influence to bring that in so that they can be trained up properly, amen? The wealth that the wicked has stored up for the righteous, those who exalted righteousness, they have not compromised the message and continue to serve and love in spite of the response of others, they will be entrusted with this provision, with the people, with the wealth, with the prosperity that God gives, which is so much more than money as mentioned above. The first fruits of which had already started to pour in. If you are seeing them come your way, then celebrate, because this is just the beginning. Number two, both of them will experience contention for one's place on a team and appointment. Okay, so they'll either be, this will also be a season where leaders are either chosen for an appointment or rejected for specific appointments to fulfill God's purpose in this next season. There will be many who've been contending for specific realms of authority in a region, a state, or a nation who will now either be appointed to that role by the Lord or rejected and have to go around the mountain again until they complete and pass their character tests. And Sean, you're sitting here today. I don't think it's an accident. I just feel like the Lord wants you to know you've passed your test. You've passed your test, and that's why he's opening up the state and the nation to you. Well done. Well done, darling. Well done, darling. Those who have chosen to advance his kingdom agenda will be positioned. Those who have remained silent and sought promotion for promotion's sake, who have used flattery, who have propagated their own selfish agendas or even the agenda of the enemy, hoping for promotion, favor, influence, will now pay the price. Not because God doesn't love them, 
but because God wants them to seek him for favor, not man. He doesn't want them chasing around a title or relationships or ladder climbing. He wants them to know that every good thing comes from the Lord, and they have to seek him if they want to be promoted by him and used in his kingdom. Amen? All will be told, and the webs of deception are being swept away. There's a lot that's been going on behind the scenes, and we're seeing tons of stuff exposed nationally and then also in the church. Our Women of Glory team has been doing some prayers specifically for the churches in this region, and you've seen some things come out that haven't been real pretty. It's not good um, necessarily, or comfortable is a better word probably, but it is God. Because God disciplines those he loves, and he doesn't like that stuff staying buried under the surface. And when he tells us or the leaders again and again to deal with it, and we don't, it is his love when he peels back the curtain and says, this is what's under there, clean it out. Because when the people of God won't do it, I'll tell you what, those that don't know God will tell us to do it, and we, then we'll come into line, amen? And rightfully so. It's pretty bad when, when the community's got to rebuke you to do what God already told you to do. Come on, somebody. I'm just saying. The plots that have been launched against God's people that you thought would take years to unravel, the Lord is going to deal with in one fell swoop. Like a woman cleaning her house with a broom sweeps the cobwebs from the ceiling, so it will be for those who have been weaving webs of deception, causing chaos, causing division, and hoarding his provisions and revelation. The word of God is for the people of God. We don't hoard it. Give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaking together and running over. The moment we become a swamp, the moment it becomes about me, mine, and ours, and my ministry, my this, my that, is the moment the Lord pulls the plug and it all starts to drain away. He says, okay, darling, we're going to start over. This, he said after that, decree it because it has been decided. Come Number three, to pay one's debts or to fulfill one's promises or obligation. For this I am hearing. I, the Lord, will repay every debt you are owed, every broken promise that has been withheld, every revelation intentionally not shared, every slanderous word that has been spoken against you. The obligations they would not fulfill, I will fulfill myself, saith the Lord. Watch and be amazed, for I am the Lord. Stop looking to the world and to men for deliverance, protection, and reparations. Remember who I am. I am the Lord, your God. Woe, woe, woe to those who have withheld from my people. I freely gave you and you hoarded. I forgave you, and like the ungrateful servant, you beat your brothers, demanding that you pay you, they pay you back. Repent. Whew, come on, somebody. I want to tell you a story. I had a meeting with a gentleman from the ACLU. It was sometime this year. I don't remember what we were talking about. I was really nervous about it, to be honest with you. Because I'm Irish. Okay, <laughs> and I'm like, why is the ACLU meeting with me? Did I do something wrong? Did I make a mistake? You know, I'm thinking I'm getting sued. I'll be honest, okay, it's just the truth. That's, I was nervous. So I bring our executive director with us, um, Adam Williamson. He's amazing, uh, African-American male. He's running our organization now at Cabo. And I'm like, Adam, can you just start? Because I don't know what to say. I don't want to offend. I'm not sure if we're in trouble or if we did something wrong. And it wasn't that at all. They had a beautiful uh, policy that they were trying to get passed to um, stop the inappropriate changing of the bailout rates. If you're familiar with that, okay? So judge, judges can arbitrarily assign bail 
for individuals. So there's no standard, okay, you broke into a car, it's always $500. You killed somebody, it's always a half a million. You did this, it's arbitrary. The judge gets to choose. It's ridiculous, it's absolutely ridiculous. So it, quite frankly, unproportionately affects the poor. It's a systemic issue. So if someone's poor and they can't pay the bill, they're in trouble and they have to stay in jail, and oftentimes because they're poor, then they lose their jobs, and it causes them all kinds of familial problems, okay? It's a systemic issue for them. But if you're rich, it's no big deal. You call, you know, your bank, you get the money, you pay it, and you're good to go. You don't lose your job. It doesn't put you out much except the cash, and you go on with life, you get a lawyer, you do what you need to do, right? So we ended up printing the article that he had on that and, and standing with him in that, but we're sitting across the table from him, and the Lord said, I want you to ask him, um, if he's familiar with the Arkansas Nine, because he had told us he was from Little Rock. If he was familiar with the Little Rock Nine, are you familiar with that story, Brown versus Brown? Mm -hmm. Okay, a Board of Education, where the, the integration happened, okay? Beautiful story that happened under Eisenhower. Um, and there were prophetic words spoken about me about being a general Eisenhower, that I was gonna have heart for those kinds of things. And Daddy, I'm looking him in the face. We had settled it, I wasn't getting sued, we agreed, you know what I mean? on the areas where we could agree, and I was really graciously frank on the areas where we couldn't. And the Lord said, I want you to pray for him. I said, okay. So we're talking about this Little Rock Nine thing, you're familiar with it? Yeah, and he said, well, actually, that's where we're from. I said, oh. And he said, my daddy was falsely accused of threatening to bomb that school and had to go to jail for it, and it's been on his record ever since. And he's been trying to get that overturned because it wasn't true. Um, and Father God, in that moment, Holy Spirit was like, bring him before the courts of justice because there's a higher court in the land that can bring reparations and restoration and true justice. He does not have to wait here on earth. We need to shift our thinking and stop trying to go to earthly courts to deal with things and go up into the heavenlies and decree and declare according to God's word that it is so. So we did that. It was not a really long prayer, maybe two, three minutes. I just said, Father, we come before the courts of justice in Jesus' name. You know that this was a false accusation. He's been fighting it for 40 years, 34 years, wherever it was. I don't remember. Um, I prayed a simple prayer. I said, I ask you right now that you would just meet out your perfect justice in this case. He calls, he emails me a week later. I can't thank you enough for praying for me. He said, you have no idea. My dad got a letter from the governor this week. And after whatever the number of years was, after this many years, it was finally overturned. And my dad's name is cleared. Yeah, come on. I'm just right. Listen, you guys, the enemy's messed with us as Christians, telling us we got to fight this stuff in the natural. And there is a natural thing that we have to do. But we have a higher court in heaven. And we can have conversations like this and say, this is wrong. It is wrong. And we can bring it before the courts of justice and our perfect Lord, the King of kings, and the Lord of lords, under whom every enemy has to come under his feet. They have to bow the knee. And if we begin to operate that way, if we begin to operate that way, I think things will shift much faster. Yeah. And some of the nonsense where the enemy continues to jab entire generations and try to keep them oppressed and hurting and wounded and stifled and delayed from coming to their fullness and their destiny can be taken care of and eradicated in a single moment. Amen? Mm. So while I was a little bit shaken after hearing him say, whoa, 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 to those who have withheld, 
my heart was heavy. And I, of course, started to intercede for the body of Christ to repent and shift into more of the fullness of Christ. What I love about God is that he is always love. He always forgives us when we ask him to, and there is still time to repent. Like I said, the year doesn't close out until October 1st. And I think this is why my heart was so heavy. There's time, but the, the, I feel like the gate is shutting, right? Like it's coming down, and we've got till October 1st, and it's like we've got to deal with some stuff in our nation and in our church and in our lives. There's still time to repent, so if you need to take care of something, now is the time. Some might suggest that a loving God wouldn't bring correction towards those he loves, but that simply isn't true. In Christ, we never have to worry about suffering judgment, but Christ certainly paid the price for that, the entire price for each of us. However, God is a good father, and he always disciplines his children. And quite frankly, I think there's some whoopings coming. Okay, I'm not trying to be funny, but as a mama, some whoopings are needed and some whoopings are coming because he wants things in order. And he's got to have pure-hearted, on fire, full of his character ones that can handle the harvest that's coming in. They're a hot mess, you guys. They are. They have been ravaged and abused and lied to and tormented for years. And we're going to have to be really patient and really loving and hold that character bar really high so that they can receive complete and absolute restoration and encounter the love of God through us and encounter him face to face, amen? amen. However, God is good. He is a good father and he always disciplines his children. In fact, the scripture says that if we're not disciplined, we're actually illegitimate children. Mm. So just take 30 seconds and say, Lord, last time you disciplined me. Mine was yesterday. Actually, early, early this morning again. <laughs> okay, so I know I'm a child of God. Just check it and make sure you're letting him discipline you because if you're not, your flesh is probably running this show. Okay? And it's not bad when you get disciplined. There's nothing wrong with you. It actually means you're moving forward. You're doing what God called you to do. You're growing. So give yourself a pat on the back. The enemy tries to condemn us when God disciplines us and make us feel like we've messed up too bad or that God is never going to promote us again or that we can not be used of God because we simply missed our chance. But this is the farthest thing from the truth of who God is and how he loves his children. He disciplines us to train us for the very purpose of blessing us. Come on, say that again, Stephanie. Yes, sir. He disciplines us to train us. I'm going to encourage myself. He disciplines us to train us for the very purpose of blessing us. Amen? Mm. Amen. Thank you, Amen. This is the year of the reckoning, but God is still love. Hebrews 12, 6, God disciplines those he loves. When God disciplines us, it's actually a sign that you are truly loved by him. He cares enough not to promote you beyond the character capacity you possess for your own sake and for the sake of the body and the nation. Hebrews 12, 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. Come on, somebody. Anybody had hard years? Okay, I'm the only one that saw that. Listen, I'm getting my share of discipline. Maybe I'm getting yours too. I don't know. But I'll have you to share. Anybody had a hard year? Yes. A hard year. No, not hard ears. You got hard ears, honey. Come up here, I'll lay hands on you real quick. <laughs> I love you so much. 
God is treating you as children, amen. For what children are not disciplined by their father? Come on, somebody. Because God is love and because God is always good, even when he disciplines us or brings us consequences to those, or he brings consequences, excuse me, to those who are not yet his children, it is because he ultimately loves them. He does so in hopes that they will turn from those things that are destroying them here on this earth and ultimately eternally and run into his loving arms. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. And this is where I had to repent, okay? Because I'm like, when? God, when? Seriously. Like, how long? How many babies are we going to let die here? Really? Now, I can't, I'm not judging because I myself, I'm opposed to abortive, right? But it's like sometimes when you've committed the sin yourself and then you understand the pain that accompanies the sin, the suicidal thoughts and the regrets and the depression and the self-hatred, right? All of that that accompanies the sin. We have to be very careful that our passion doesn't, we don't persecute out of passion. Does that make sense? Sometimes the flag that we carry and the things that we defend can become the very root of our persecuting others because we understand so intimately the pain that's associated with the issue. Does that make sense? So I had to repent. It says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient. He's patient with us. He's patient with the church. He's patient with me. He's patient with our nation. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. Amen? Somewhat like the wayward son in the story of the prodigal, the father allowed the boy to take his inheritance and to squander it away, and he does that with us. He allowed him to engage in prostitution, to eat pig slop, to be deserted by his friends because this is what the boy truly believed would make him happy. If that boy hadn't experienced those things to the full and finally realized that they do not bring joy and fulfillment, he likely would have never returned to the father, nor would he have so deeply appreciated the love of his Abba's embrace upon his return home. Can anybody relate to that? Do you remember that moment, one of the sweet moments? Ask Holy Spirit, what was one of those sweet moments for you when you realized you did this and God forgave you? And that sweet, sweet grace and how good it felt, knowing that you were loved and that you were forgiven and the price was paid, even though you deserved it. All that to say, if you need to repent this year, do it quickly. Had it years coming. So you can remain in the Father's house and enjoy his presence. For those of us that do so, we will be honored to prepare all the while for the wayward ones to return. The wayward ones of the world to finally come and see that the sin they so relish right now is merely pig slop. We will be privileged to pray and prepare the house of God so that they too will return to our Father with us and be embraced by us and by him. So we can throw the biggest party for them this side of heaven when they return. While this is the year of the reckoning, you can run into the finished work of Christ and be protected from it all. Come on, somebody. Can anybody say amen? Mm -hmm. And I honestly just felt like that was 
what daddy was, why I was grieving. I couldn't figure out why am I grieving. He said, it's because this year is coming to an end. It's because you know, I told you this is the year of the reckoning and <laughs> you've got my heart and you don't want to see people suffer, right? And that's true, I don't. But he reminded me it's his love. But because I love you, I'm reminding you, take the highway, take the high road. It is worth it. Get your business in order. The final slide there, when you're ready. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate, that means we think about it, we meditate on it, we focus on it, the Lord's glory, okay? We are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. To God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Shana, if you could just put some music on, that'd be awesome. Um, Jaden, you did worship today. I'm going to have you come up and be on the prayer team. Cammie, why don't you come on up and be on the prayer team. And um, one of the things we always do as part of our service is we offer a time of activation. The goal being that the information doesn't just stay in our head, but that we move from the place of knowing to the place of activation and living. So um, come on up. If you need prayer today, whether that be healing or you just need to confess something that, you know, Maybe the Lord's haven't dealt with you on today and you just want to tell somebody else, you can do that. It says confess your sins one to another that you might be healed. You can come and quietly do that to someone up here um, and they will pray with you about that. If you need physical healing, obviously they will pray about that. If you want an impartation of uh, magnanimous love and grace, we certainly can do that as well. So God loves you and we love you and we'll be back next week at, what time, Kimmy? Was it 1 p.m.? 1.30. At 1.30 p.m. to do the Magician Dive Drive for the Heartbeat Coalition. So come on down. Feel free to bring people with you. We love you. God loves you. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening today. Take a moment and ask Holy Spirit what He wants you to do with what you've learned. And remember, with God, all things are possible. So keep dreaming. Keep praying and simply obey because God is good and he has good plans for you. You can subscribe to our blogs, learn about our speakers, and even hear from one of our team members how you can take part in transforming a city, your city with Christ. There's no time like the present. Visit ShekinahOnline.com. If this doesn't excite you, watch for our new and God-inspired product line, a newly released book by Stephanie Butler, more testimonies from our listeners like you, working to bring unity in cities across the world. If you feel led to support our podcast, you may do so on our Shekinah.com website. Or if you would like to support us monthly, there is a link labeled Listener Support on every podcast. Until next time, we thank you, we love you, have a blessed day.